0: Hello and welcome to the Swan Song Project podcast. My name is Ben Buddy Slack and I'm the founder of the Swan Song Project and the host of this podcast. The Swan Song Project is a charity and we help people living with terminal illnesses or dealing with bereavement to write and record an original song. We believe in celebrating lives, making memories and leaving legacies. If you'd like to find out more about the charity, you can check out our website, which is swansongproject.co.uk. The podcast features songwriters and each episode I ask my guests to share with us a song that's They've written themselves and talk a little bit about how they wrote it. I asked them to share a songwriting tip, and I also ask them to share a song that's meaningful to them in some way relating to bereavement. This episode features David Moon, and I hope you enjoy it. Okay, today I'm here with David Moon. Thanks for joining me, David.
1: Uh, you're welcome. Yeah, it's lovely to be here.
0: Nice to meet you, Ben. Yeah, I'm looking forward to talking to you. Uh, this is the Swan Song Project podcast. For anyone who's new to the show, uh, each week I have a different songwriter on and I ask them to share with us one of their songs. We have a conversation about how they wrote it. I ask them to share with us a songwriting tip and I also ask them to share with us a song that's meaningful to them in some way relating to bereavement. Um, so today David's with us and David's here in kind of two hats in a way. So it's kind of an interesting uh, way we came to be talking here. Um I'll let you tell a story in fact it's probably better coming from your mouth than mine do you want to tell give us a little bit about your background and where you are yeah, at yeah I'll give it
1: okay thanks Ben um so I um so I work at full circle funerals in the Harrogate service and I've been um here since January so coming up to four months um still kind of finding my feet but it's all going really well and it's really positive um for me I've uh, it's a bit of an unusual career shift because I used to be a teacher I was, I was a high school music teacher for, for 10 years um, and we moved into back to Harrogate a group in Harrogate moved back here uh, last year and um, I'd always had it on my mind that I'd wanted to break away from teaching and try something new and uh, the move and a few changes in my circumstances just made a formed a bit of a catalyst I suppose and just... Um, got me out of teaching and got me thinking about what am I like to what am I like to do, um, and yeah, it's a funny story. Really, my sister was walking by the Harrogate service and there was a sign up saying, um, you know, position available. Uh, please email uh, David and you know to express your interest. And um, I was looking for a few other jobs at the time, and it struck me as as quite unusual. My my sister and I kind of laughed it off a little a little bit initially, just thinking, oh, wouldn't that be unusual? And um, I went on the website, and had a look at it, find out a bit more about the industry. And yeah, and actually there's quite, and usually there's quite a lot of crossover between teaching and funeral directing, and it seems really odd to say, um, but at the core of it, one thing that kept me doing the teaching for so long is, um, you know, watching kids grow, um, developing a connection and knowing that you've kind of played, even if it's a small part, in shaping them as a person and and helping them to sort of take the next step in their journey, and and for me, uh, funeral directing also gave me the opportunity to to have a positive impact on people, to support them when they're having a difficult time, and to um, and to be able to know that that's. Um, Ultimately, feeding into my reward system because I knew that that's that's I didn't want to just have a job that was nine to five, a bit humdrum, and um, sort of stuck at an office desk. I needed something that was quite practical and just enabled me to connect with people. So I guess that's kind of what's brought me to full circle. Um, and obviously, I uh, I have a musical background, and they've been really accommodating of that actually. Um, from the moment that i had the interview with sarah and we got talking about some of the things i've been doing in the past they um they've they've very much seen it as something to celebrate within um the job here and a lot of the work that we do is about connecting with the community so we do have some some smaller outreach projects and a lot of the sort of the angle of full circle the philosophy behind it is supporting the well-being of every believed breathed individual and so within well-being you've got you've got lots of angles but music is one of them so um so we're currently looking at a, a means to connect the community and and hopefully trying to use some of my strengths to to do that so um we're doing a few small products at the moment so a quick shout out to May fifteenth at one o'clock. So there'll be a, a Zoom performance. Um, I did a bit of research on um, music and its and its impact to well being. And there's a few articles out there about the link with dementia. And it's still emerging research, but um, music therapy is um, does have a you know profound impact on on patients, particularly dementia patients. And um, given the way in which we can remember information, um, often you can listen to a piece of music and be taken back to a a significant point in time. For example, that might be your first dance at your wedding, um, or, you know, it could be a funeral, but it could be some other celebration event or just something that, you know, took you back to a special moment in your life. And um, through the research, I realised that it's not... It's not just the music, it's other sensory information, but music can act as a trigger for the memory. So in kind of in that spirit, uh, the event's called Golden Oldies. And for about 45 minutes, I'm gonna be bringing back some, um, some old old tunes and um, playing them on the guitar. So I predominantly just play as a soloist on the, on the acoustic guitar. So I do a, like a, a playing style called finger style and um and that kind of weaves in the melody harmony and bass and it just gives a nice flavor of the song so um i've had some requests for things like blue moon and um fly me to the moon lots of lots of songs with moon in mm-hmm. um but they um but yeah it's been it's been fun to learn them and i yeah, look forward to doing it so
0: yeah yeah it's brilliant um yeah funny listeners out right? to full circle funerals as uh funeral uh, directors that Swan Song's done some work with in the past. Sorry, that's my phone. Keeps going off. Put that out of the way. Um, and yes, yeah, so we've, we've done some, some work together in the past with uh, various Full Circle sites. And um, I want to give a quick plug as well. Sarah, uh, the director who's mentioned there, has a book out which has got Funerals Your Way. And this year she's donating the profits of it to the Swan Song project. So if anybody listening is interested in finding out some more about, about funerals, but also supporting the project, you can find that book on, uh, on Amazon. It's called Funerals Your Way by Sarah Jones, isn't it? um but yeah that's great it's, it's interesting so a funeral director is not something that you kind of think of as a job that you get into in that way I don't know why it always is one of those jobs that I don't know it doesn't seem like something you see an advert for and apply for I guess because it's kind of dealing with quite intense stuff in a way you know um how have you found that part of it? I mean and obviously it's a funny time to start at the start of a lockdown starting in January um but how have you yeah. found that part of it of the you I think have to work with a lot of people in difficult. Yeah, times. I think
1: I think it's it's safe to say that I was um, I was a bit cautious at at the start. Within my experience, I've you know, yes, I've supported families and and children and um, and worked with them, um, but. You know, and bereavement takes many forms and it's, it can be really harrowing at the beginning. And I was nervous that when faced with that, I wouldn't know what the right thing to do or say was because it's just something that, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate in the sense that, you know, there's been, not been much bereavement in my family up until, um, you know, fairly recently. And and I found that... Um, I wasn't sure if I had the right tools in that sense. I knew that, um, I mean, all my family, are almost all of them are nurses, they work in healthcare. you know, I've been surrounded by that growing up and, and it felt like sort of the practical nature of the job wasn't something that was going to be um, phasing me or sort of getting in the way. Um, but yeah, so I thought that it, it, the initial meeting of the family and that, you know, that seeing that trauma and, and how best to help them navigate it or just provide a space that's safe for them that's just something that was kind of burrowing in the back of my mind as something that I knew that I would be wanting to work through as I got started in the job
0: yeah um, yeah I guess there's probably like lots of similarities you're dealing with difficult things as a teacher as well and these difficult situations um, yeah, but yeah, I'm well, glad it's uh, it's going well for you, and it's brilliant that they're so open to using your musical skills as well as part of it. Like it's always it's always nice to hear when you know more music's involved in anything. It's always a good thing, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely.
1: I mean, when I got into teaching at first, it was, I mean, don't get me wrong, I got a lot out of it, but it, it, at the beginning, it was I, I was a guitar tutor beforehand, and I was performing, and it felt like a convenient shift as my as I was raising a young family, and it felt stable and secure. Um, and then it kind of grew on me. And, yeah, so I knew, I knew that any future job that I needed, it uh, needed to satisfy me in that same way. Um, but I also would have felt a little bit lost if I'd done something that didn't enable to be me to be musical in any way, mm-hmm. because that would just be really denying myself of... Uh, something that I get a lot of reward out of and um, and just kind of confining it to the old hour on a weekend felt like it would be a waste. Um, so I, I didn't want to be trapped. Um, so so yeah, so it's worked out really well.
0: Yeah, that's brilliant. Good stuff. Um, so yeah, let's move into the, the regular sections of the podcast now. Um, so first off, I always ask my guests to share with us a song that they've written and we're going to have a chat about that. Um, so I'll ask you to introduce the song of yours for us please David
1: yep so this song is called Skimming Stones it's from the album Out of the Blue Um, and I've uh, been involved in the writing of most of the album in collaboration with um, a gentleman called Mike Greenway who's a long friend and musician and producer
2: Of reality, don't be a dreamer. Keep your feet on the ground with a sound to clarity, take it apart back to the start. Don't try to find what's not even there. Go back, hold on, keep moving on. Stronger than a strength to which you're bound I'm skimming stones across the lake, counting the bounces, the lucky breaks, watching the waves, the waters wake, cause out the best cry. The bounces, the donkey breaks Watching the waves, the waters wake Cause and effect spread By the choices we make
0: The made. Okay, brilliant. So that was uh, Skimming Stones by David Moon. Um yeah, it's a, it's a cool song. So uh, what can you tell us about writing it? When did you write it and what was the um few questions come at you once (laughs) um but what was the collaborative process like something I was interested in when people write with other people how that kind of goes about yeah
1: sure so um well the collaborative process was was great I I I was living um in Chessington at the time down south and and my Michael lived in Surbiton so I'd I'd occasionally just go and visit him and he uh he had a really lovely like four-story townhouse and he had a studio um on the first floor and we just sort of rock up, he'd make a cup of tea, um, we'd have a bite to eat, have a bit of a chat, and then we'd just get into the studio and just flesh out some ideas. And, and some of the songs we wrote from scratch together, um, but more often than not, I'd come at him with something, and then he, we would sort of grow it together. Um, and depending, I mean, each song on the album turned out, uh, just kind of formed slightly differently. So we might have just been scratching our heads for two hours over lyrics. Um, but then one of the other days it was I had the lyrics and he had something, you know, noodley to go in the background with it or, you know, developed from a riff somewhere. Um, so this, this song predominantly, so lyrically is, is pretty much solely my input. Um, and, and Mike helped me to kind of, structure parts of it out and um and ultimately he's the he's the person responsible for the polished finish on the on the track itself mm. um so the yeah the song was born um so it didn't have like a birthday so so, so to speak it, it came to, together in lots of pieces when i was um when i was younger i used to do quite a lot of traveling um and i'd have a little lyric book and I would just, when the moment struck me, I'd just start writing stuff down. And um, the uh, and I was on a train. I think at the time, uh, it was just before I was going to university, so I was uh, thinking about my future and um, going on all these little journeys to, went to Reading, Coventry, London, uh, Dartington, just looking at these different places, what they have to offer, and and it got me. It got spark some creativity in thinking what's my future going to be like um, and, and just kind of playing with those thoughts so the, I guess the lyrics tell a bit of a story of, of a bit of a struggle uh, a personal struggle of mine which was um, what, is, uh, what is possible in my life what, what do I think I can, uh, can do or to stretch it what would be my dream hopes and dreams for myself and then that's kind of tempered with what's what's realistic. So um, I think we'd all agree that you know, music's a wonderful thing to get into, but, you know, compared to other careers, you could say that it, it, it's got more of a sort of, it can be a more tenuous existence financially. And um, I was, I had reservations about how much I wanted to, did I want to go all in with it and find myself with a degree I wasn't using at the end and, Um, a bit lost as to what I was going to do and having a very kind of defined skill set that might not always map over to sort of standard career work. So, um, so it's kind of a narrative about um, how uh, I really want to do it, um, but then it's just, you know, hold on, have you really thought about this? Um, so, So that's kind of like part of the, the sort of diverse content Um, And then the other part came from um, a, I used to, so so my parents split up when I was a bit younger, and I'd see my dad on the weekends, and uh, I'd see my gran as well, and they, um, he would take me to Weatherby, and under the viaduct at the River Wharf, there's a little place where you can feed the ducks, and there's just like little bits of mobs where you can walk around, and there used to be a little spot where I'd go, and I'd just go and skim the stones. And it was all very innocent at the time. And, you know, I loved throwing things as a kid. And so it just felt like it was quite a satisfying thing to do. Um, so that, that lyric was not part of the, the main verses. It was just somewhere else in the book, but I just nabbed it because for me, it kind of served as quite a nice metaphor, um, I guess, for how some of the decisions that we make in life kind of stay with us and the impact on the people around us, kind of like a sort of ripple effect. And it felt like a nice way of bringing the thoughts together in that kind of chorus uh, defining moment. So, so that's kind of how where it that's how it was put together. Um, so it was imagined in, in different pieces.
0: That's really um, interesting. How old? How long did You say a year? on year? Was it before you went You say? Yeah. So I, yeah.
1: I took a gap years. So I was probably about twenty. Um, Sounds like you were st- very
0: kind of. Uh, rationally minded and reasonably minded for a 20 year old <laughs> when i was 20 if i wasn't thinking as uh, as clearly as that
1: <laughs> yeah well i don't know maybe the gap years helped me out a bit mm-hmm. because i had to get a, you know a normal job and pay rent and you know and proof proof of concept that i could support myself and then just get along really um but they were quite useful gap years because it made me realize that yeah i did want to do it um, if this is gonna be the life without kind of really trying to do something meaningful, then I didn't, I didn't really want it. So, um, so it felt like it, it was a song about just kind of weighing it, weighing it up. And, but I did, knew, I did knew in my heart at the time that, yeah, I was ready to take a leap of faith. And, um, and you know, growing up in a little place like Harrogate, um, moving to Southwest London, uh, without any family around, it was a big deal in my head, and um, so, so yeah, there was there was lots of emotion around it, and hence the, you know, hence the, the scribbling in the in the lyric book and trying to get some of it out. Um, so that's kind of the, the broad side of things, and, and then later I turned up at Mike's house um, with um, bits of chord work and. often what happens is i don't necessarily have a full structure of a song i've just got a bit that i like and then we just kind of like work on developing it together um so the song was part of my degree was focused on um it was a music performance degree focusing on extending techniques within the guitar so it was the the album is a concept of of kind of a vessel for, for exploring those um and I was dabbling a lot of the time with altered tunings, so I'd regularly use um, like a, this one's in a, in a drop D tuning. And, and it, does, it does add to the sound, but for me messing around with the guitar and, and kind of changing the tuning means all the chords are different and the shapes are different. So it, it, it's purpose, I, I do it to purposefully confuse myself because it's very easy to, to just think as a kind of music theorist and go, well, I'm gonna do these chords, and then I'm going to use that seventh chord to then, you know, uh, modulate to that key and that chorus. And all of a sudden you end up with a really formulaic outcome. Um, so I wanted to, so it was purposeful to, to allow me to get back to just being creative. And um, so the verse is only two chords, but it goes from an A to it. And it ends up going to a D6 chord, which I just wouldn't have picked otherwise if it weren't for just sort of messing around and not thinking too much about where the chord's coming from or going to, um, and that's kind of it. I mean, like the the song comes back to the main key. Um, that's the diverse key at the end. So the bridge kind of goes on a bit of a wander, and there's a couple of surprise chords in there. Um, production-wise, I think Mike did a did it really did some real good justice with that. Um, just some nice little bits of word painting where he's got the, the delay effect on the guitar. There's a real... Um, there's a there's a really um, heavy reverb on the kit and, um, and there's a bit of call and response with the backing vocals and that just, again, that's all the skimming stones, the bouncing and, you know, they're helping to sort of visualise that um, musically. So, yeah, that's the song.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Um, in terms of the... The album itself so was that kind of a project that you had decided on or was it like um, was it like out of a selection of songs that you had or was there any kind of like so you mentioned about the extended the guitar techniques was that something you were aiming for so like an album where I'm going to try these different guitar techniques throughout or was the or and I guess um, were your other songs written in a similar kind of theme like were you kind of often thinking about those kind of you know personal dilemmas and questions and things like that was that a kind of common theme amongst your songs or
1: um no no, no it wasn't the um so i had obviously I had i had a bunch of lyrics and some of them felt like they had they got legs to do something with so i um i worked with mike on a couple of tracks and we worked really well together and we wrote a few pieces and it kind of went from an ep to kind of well let's do the album And it kind of just grew from there. Um, Some of the lyrics were his, and then I, you know, worked a bit more instrumentally. Um, So it was, yeah, it was a real collaboration. Um, From from the perspective of where I was at with my my music and my degree, it was, um, it made it interesting for me to say, okay, well, I'm working with, so I was doing um, techniques around body percussion and and harmonics. um, And other forms of tapping and things like that so it felt like um it would be really cool and different to try and work this into the songwriting itself um and it felt like at the time i mean this you know time has really moved on but at the time it felt quite fresh and there wasn't really anyone else out there that was offering that um so i felt like i was kind of onto something and it was it was a good feeling and and and, and that's just that's kind of the the lyrical content of the album moves around quite a bit, but it is generally on the narrative of um, yeah exploring my personal emotions and and some of them have been through you know relationships um, and you know type and, and, and you know types of loss within that um, and then just yeah just general reflection and contemplation.
0: Yeah, that sounds good. And was it a conscious thing, like? um what you said about the the theme for skimming stones and those decisions that you were making at the time was it like that was just something that was on your mind a lot and then you thought well i'll write a song about this because it'll be an interesting song or was it a bit like a it's on my mind so i'm going to write about it see how that works out there yeah so um
1: so i'm not a career songwriter um and so i I don't just go and sort of find my special room and all of a sudden lyrics flow. It's, uh, it's, it's my kind of own music therapy. If I'm working through a problem or a dilemma, or I've got something that's heavy on my mind, um, the lyrics, uh, writing lyrics is, is a way of me uh, getting it out and processing it. Um, and the experience of creating music from it is, um, I mean that's that kind of helps me I guess it's it's my own sort of music therapy but um but you know it's sort of nice at the end because you've made something and maybe you're past whatever event you were thinking about or whatever it's kind of got you stuck um and then you have you've there's something that you've made at the end and you can share it and it can mean different things to different people so I can't see why more people aren't aren't using it as a as a way of kind of pushing through any difficulties that
0: they've got yeah i think i agree completely i think that's i think it's an often an overlooked well it needs needs a pr job i think that benefit of um of songwriting and of creative practice in general i think a lot of people think of it as you know it's 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 a means to an end you know like it's you do it to have something to sell or to perform or something like that rather than thinking of it for that own personal therapeutic benefits and it's something that comes up a lot with swan song is that people are writing the songs and the other might think oh i'm writing a song to leave for my kids or something like that but then the process of doing it you can have all these reflections and um and yeah the sense of pride you have in having something permanent and you know like it's it's always nice to share that with people but even if you just someone does that in their room by themselves and finds some benefit in reflecting on whatever it is they're thinking about and putting into a song. Yeah. Any
1: songwriting I've done has never been for any perceived commercial value. Um, it's, it's just a, a personal expression, and, um, which is why, you know, and, and I've never I've never aspired to kind of write sort of cookie-cutter kind of songs. Um, and there are people that do that and do it very well, and I'm not sure they enjoy it, um, but... Yeah, that would kind of go against the point of why you're doing it in the first place I
0: think yeah there's a great quote by myself I can't remember what it was now uh, I'm gonna butcher this I'm gonna do a really bad job of it but there's someone who's a great songwriter they said they, they write three types of songs um ones were to make money one was something else and then one was for themselves so you know, they write songs that were just just for their for their own purposes because they enjoyed writing them and write the ones were well, like this is the song well what what's going to sell I can't believe the other one was It might be songs to, uh, to perform or something like that But I've got a feeling it was something Yeah, It might have been that It might have been songs that I know will be good fun to play live Ones that are going to be good commercially And ones that are just for my own personal benefit um, Yeah Interesting stuff um, Let's move to section two now, shall show. This is where I ask, I ask my guests to share a songwriting tip with us um, So what would your tip be for us, David?
1: Um, brilliant, yeah So I had a, a little think about this um, I'm going to use my guitar if that helps, well yeah, it certainly definitely. will help me, um, hopefully it'll help anyone else that's listening um, so, so often I, I work with composing with students at school and, um, and some of them would be writing songs and we'd be talking brainstorming through ideas So, so it might be that a lot of your uh, audience maybe are aware of this or it might be brand new um, so, But in any case hopefully it'll be something, something to somebody um, so we're going to look at not lyrics or melody, but actually the, the backing stuff, the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. So the chords and the harmony and the things that make up the, the all the background sound. Um, so, and it's kind of from the perspective that, let's say for example, that maybe you've got a simple chord progression. So you've got three or four chords and you kind of know how they fit and you, you, you're strumming them along on a guitar or something and you're looking to do something a bit more interesting. So you're looking to just explore some opportunities. So, um, this is my top. And um, for the pers- purposes of this example, let's say that you've picked uh, the following four chords. So let's say that you've got a, uh, a C chord, uh, and an A minor, an F, and a G. So you could you could happily strum them a bar on each one and sing along and I'm sure you'd create something really nice Um, but you might be left with a feeling that what you're doing is maybe a bit overplayed, something that's been done a lot um, and you might find that it just doesn't spark much creativity or maybe you've already written loads of songs like that and you want to do something different. so one thing you can do is rather than just play as I've done the chords in what's called root position. Uh, so what that means is for, for the C chord, which would have a C, E and a G, the C is always at the bottom. Um, and then the same for all the other chords, the A minor would have the A at the bottom the F would have the F, uh, the F major would have the F at the bottom and so on. Um, so what you can do is you can use what's called a chord inversion. So you can take, um, take the notes of the chord And rather than just playing the C at the bottom of the chord, you can choose one of the other two notes that belong to the chord. So a C chord has a C, E and a G. So instead of the C at the bottom, you could choose to play the E at the bottom or the G at the bottom. Um, So that would look a bit like this. So a C chord would just have, you just include the bottom E string. um, And then a C with a G at the bottom. Uh, So they don't really sound big deals on their own but as part of a progression if you kind of mess around with uh, the different chords that you've got so you could find an opportunity to create I don't know if you've got that siren sorry about that Um, you can you can find a chance to create um, bass lines that move rather than chugging away between big leaps of notes in the chord you can find something that's a bit smoother so for example that could be a, um, a descending bass line, something similar to that, and um, you can accommodate that within your chord, so you'd have a C, and then you'd have a C with a B, so that's uh, one of the uh, possible inversions, you'd have A minor, um, and then you'd use a descending note, the A minor, Technically it's an A minor 7 because it's the G um, and then you've got just a standard F and then the rest look like they're in more or less root position. Um, So that would go, um, could sound a bit like this. try, um, you can try another keys, so um, So it's just some opportunity to try and do something a little bit different There's a little bit of theory that you'd need to know So you need to know what chords can I use in, in the key that I've chosen and then what are my possible chord inversions and then you'd have to kind of sketch out what direction your bass line wants to go in and you'd have to kind of work the chords around to follow it. Um, Lots of, um, you know, mainstream pop artists use this. Um, I think that's Ed Sheeran, Thinking Out Loud. Um, And that uses um, the C and then it's got the C with the first inversion. So C with the E in the bass and the F in the the, so
0: uh, I, the, yeah, the, yeah I, the one you were playing earlier as well, I was just playing that earlier with um, Have You Ever Seen The Rain, Credence Clear Rock Revival That's got that exact same that same sending bass line there. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Yeah. I was Yeah, I was going
1: through this example this morning
0: It's very popular, it's very kind of it's, it's, just, it's just such a good sound to it, isn't it? <laughs> kind of uh, um,
1: And, you know, it's used a lot in I mean, they, they used it hundred years ago with, like, Canon as has got a similar sort of descending bass. You've got Jack Johnson better together. Um, so, but yeah, it just throws up some options. And if you haven't already, if you're stuck in major and minor chords, try try putting some sevenths in. Um, you've got to be... Careful about what kind of seventh you use, and I, I don't think I'll go too much into that. Um, one thing I found is that you can get away with a lot of minor sevenths without making it too jazzy. Um, so, but but your major sevenths, you kind of end up with you kind of end up with something that's a bit too. It just feels a little bit forced on the jazz front. So it kind of do, but. Um, exploring, getting yourself away from just major and minor chords. Try some inversions, um, and and if you if you feel able to, aim to to decorate your chords with some some sevenths or even even ninths. But yeah,
0: yeah, that's great, David. Thanks, it's really good advice. I think it's kind of a common thing as well that people, I think people, who you know new to music don't realize how similar so many songs are. Are you know, using a similar kind of few chords and. So I remember hitting that realisation myself of like, well, I need to keep learning new things to make my songs more interesting. And you keep trying to, you know, like, but the more, it's not it's not like the more chords you add, the better it's going to sound. It's, it's uh, So having those little tricks of like, if I'm using the same same four chords I might use in this song, I'll use some of these little tricks to just make it that little bit different. Um, I can be, it that work. can be
1: as simple as when you get to your second and third verse, you can actually use that as a, as a means of Pushing forward a bit of development and and adding something different, so that you yes you've got a new lyric and your contour of your melody is broadly the same with some decoration, but you also have something in the accompaniment that drives the music forward, and harmony you can do that with the, with the chords you choose and what you do with them.
0: Yeah yeah that's brilliant David thank you. Um, so let's move to section three now. Share this is where I ask my guests to share with us a song that's meaningful to them in some way relating to bereavement. Um, so I'll ask you to introduce your your choice for this one first, please, David.
1: So this one is it's known by a few names. Um, it's most commonly known as this being called the South Wind. Um, it's a traditional Irish uh, tune. Um, the version that you'll see me play is by um, a guitarist called Al Petaway, who's um, extremely talented and great at arranging traditional music. Um, and The version that I've got, the published performance, is called The West Wind, but it's known by a few names.
0: So that was the west wind so uh, yeah so it's a traditional traditional irish one um particular arrangement that you've come across um why did you choose that that piece first it's a lovely piece um I, my, yeah. oh, my background's in irish music so I mean, anything okay. any, those kind of stuff kind of uh, really calls my heartstrings but it's a beautiful oh, nice
1: place. well um well yeah feel free to fill me in as well because it's not it's not necessarily my background but um i do um on a sort of personal level with with sort of developing repertoire i i come across all sorts of things but i really like um i really like uh, guitar traditional arrangements um and so i had a kind of a vested interest in it initially um but for me it's i guess its impact on on bereavement is really on a personal level because um well my stepfather died about eight years ago and at his um my mum asked if I would play something at the funeral and uh, and I played that. So it's um, it's something I kind of had up my sleeve and I thought that seems to fit really well. So it, in the first instance, it was a bit of a, a performance of convenience. Um, and I'm okay saying that now, and it's, you know, because I think differently now, but um, it's essentially, It resonated with me on a few reasons. Firstly, if you are ever involved in planning a funeral um, or just delivering something in a funeral, the sheer act of you being involved in it um, makes it more of an event in your head. Um, I can think back to that moment and I can think back to when I played, I can think back to the space, to the the way I spoke to to my family afterwards. And so my, the biggest gift I've got is that I've got this, um, I've got a really sort of deep memory of the experience. Mm. Uh, And I would encourage anyone that feels able to, um, that has suffered any kind of bereavement, has the opportunity to become involved in a funeral. And specifically from my experience, musically, um, it it does a lot for you, um, but it also gives you something as well, something to take away for a long time. so my my stepfather was uh, a, a fiddle player and he played the mandolin and he had a Kaylee band and they performed all over the place and he was brilliant. Uh, he was a real, um, he had uh, he was a good, great flat picker on his on the mandolin. I couldn't do half the things that he does. And um, he grew up with a lot of the traditional music and so I knew that he wouldn't know it and I knew that, other people would be able to acknowledge that, so it felt like it was. It felt like it worked, um, and I like the way that, from what I've learned about it, what I really like is that whilst I had learned the piece away from any lyrical content um, associated with it, so when I discovered a little bit about what the lyrics were for the piece, it was really. Uh, warming for me to know that there's there's quite a good link with bereavement and that some on some level perhaps musically um that that was speaking to me so i'm going to read out one of the verses if you don't mind yeah please do uh, so it says uh, south wind of the gentle rain you banish winter weather bring salmon to the pool again the bees among the heather if northward now you mean to blow as you rustle soft above me godspeed be with you as you go and a kiss for those that love me so um, so i really like that that's really that's quite powerful to me and um my my stepfather was a really kind and gentle man um you know he was only in my life for a short period of time he yeah, i think it was with my my mom for about five six years but I guess you could say, kind of like the south wind, um, he brought like a renewed happiness in amongst the family and my mum and the rest of the family. And, and we were really lucky to have him in our lives. So for me, it's in terms of the peace and the choice, it's, it's really my, my personal interpretation and, and the impact that it's had for me um, and, and the connections I've kind of made along the way with, with, with my own experience.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful, David. Thanks for sharing. Um, I love it when, like, that's what I always think the the aim with the music should be that it tells the lyrics in it, you know, it communicates the same message as the lyrics but without the uh, the words. So it's kind of great that it kind of did that for you in that sense. There,
1: yeah, yeah. I found it really, um, I found it a really pleasant surprise that only later on did I find out that that, that lyrically it's it, it makes a lot of connections and um. And yeah, it was lovely to know that to musically, it, it spoke to me as well, so. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's a beautiful piece. Um, how did you find the performing at the funeral? Like, um, just like, you know, on an emotional level. So we talked a little bit about, obviously, the power of the event and things. Um, was it, and did, had you done a lot of performance beforehand? That you were, you were kind of seasoned at performing?
1: Yeah, so I, um, I'm quite used to performing. I, I, I'm a bit of a nervous creature when it comes to performing anyway. So for me, um, the piece the piece sits really comfortably within my ability spectrum. So I felt that against the pressures of the situation and my own internal kind of feelings at the time would would still be able to hold up to the piece and the performance. So I, I would yeah. I guess if I was given any advice it would be just make sure that it's quite a bulletproof piece of music that you're going to perform um, you wouldn't want anything too risky um, because you know a couple of wobbles here and there and that might be that might be a, be curtains for the for the performance but yeah so I I found that that was okay and um, but that's certainly a consideration and and for anyone that might want to Musically, be involved. Is just make sure that you're you're comfortable with what you're doing, and that you've you've thought about um, anything in the music that, that might kind of um, get in the way or trip you up, and and you've got some good anchor points to help you out in those moments.
0: That's a really good piece of advice. Yeah, I think um, yeah, I think it'd be easy. it's easy to kind of want to showcase something. Um, what might be uh, like right at the edge of you, yeah. and I always said it with performance. when well, that like mean, whenever I had perform, I'd always my first song or two. We always went to songs that were in that catalog where, like, you know, you know, you can do the song on your worst day. You're not gonna make any mistakes. And then only when you kind of settled in, you're like, right, this is a song where I need to be on my game for. So with something like a funeral, where your emotions are likely to be higher than usual, yeah, making sure there's something that even even with different outside stresses, you should be able to cover it rather than being need to be a hundred percent focused on this
1: yeah and, I, and a lot of that is i mean it's i guess it's experience um you know a lot of people that that have been performing for for long enough will know where they've kind of stuck their neck out in a few pieces and it maybe got burned yeah <laughs> and, um, and, and had to kind of like claw it back a little bit and find what is what is sensible to to, to offer uh, as a performance um and I guess for someone, or perhaps a family that you might support, they might not necessarily have that foresight. And um, so I guess, you know, some delicate guidance through that would be really helpful.
0: Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, well, brilliant, Daryl. Thanks a lot for your time. I've really enjoyed talking to you.
1: Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's been lovely.
0: Yeah, really nice. And uh, can people find the album online if they want to check out?
1: Yeah, so it's, it's been on Spotify for a while, um, so it's on YouTube. And um I'm you can you can find me on Facebook if you want as well. Um, what I've been doing for the last four or five months as I've been as I left teaching got back into playing, I've just been putting up a portfolio of bits and pieces and arrangements. So that's David Moon Acoustic. Um so, and that's on Instagram as well. So you're welcome to find me if you like and um and connect.
0: Brilliant. Yeah, I'll put all the links in the description as well. I'll put the links to full circle as well if people want to get in touch about any of the the things you're going on there with the new program. But yeah, yeah, thanks so
1: much,
0: man. Yeah, that's no, been a pleasure, David. Thanks for coming on, and uh, thanks for tuning in, everyone. i will be back on another episode soon. Pretty, take care.
1: Yeah.